0: Let's uh, let's pray and then we'll open up back to the book of Acts again. Well, Father, we, we have You to thanks for the good news concerning my Father. We thank You for Your kindness to Him and for the gracious work that You did through the doctors, Lord. We are grateful to be living at a time where we can have our hearts worked on and all of the technology that is so helpful, Lord. A hundred years ago, um, there would have been no chance of survival medically, and so we thank you for these benefits that we have now, Lord, we're given more time, Lord, more time to worship, more time to serve, more time to glorify your name on this earth. Lord, I know for my father, by your grace, it takes something like his heart coming apart to keep him from church. So we pray that you would be with him now, that you would bless him, that you would comfort him, that, that he would be encouraged by your faithfulness to him. Uh, to continue with the rest of His days to glorify You, Lord. Help us to do the same, Lord. We pray that, that from the opening of Your Word today, Lord, that we would be changed, that we would be sanctified, Lord, that we would even remember, Lord, the things that we already know, the ways in which we fall short, Lord. We pray that this would encourage us to persevere, Lord, to continue the fight, Lord, to continue the struggle that is the Christian life. Lord, there is much work to be done, Lord, and we are so weak, Lord, so we ask You for Your help uh, in all these things, Lord, that we might look something like this early church who was leaving everything and sacrificing everything for Your namesake, Lord. We pray that You would do this work in us by Your Spirit today, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, back to the book of Acts. So, we are going to continue through our study in the book of Acts, and we're going to pick up right where we left off in Sunday school, because if you were here for Sunday school, we, we dealt with Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which is a famous... <coughs> Famous passage for good reasons and for bad reasons. It's a it's a much misused passage as we looked at some of the errors that come from folks misusing that passage. But um, we are going to continue on because there's another famous section of passage here in Acts chapter two, verse forty-two. Let's see what the early church was doing. Let me read at least just that verse for us Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says that they were devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers so here we get a glimpse of the early believers the early church and we get to see some of this some of the life some of the 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 life of the early church, what they were doing, what they were spending their time doing. We kind of get to see how they're working out the theology that they have that was given to them by Jesus Himself and the apostles. We get to see the practical theology of their life, how they're working out their theology. And what we're going to see in this text is five characteristics or five marks of a healthy, spirit-filled church. Five marks. I know some people have nine marks. We're going to look at five, five today. And these these foundational marks are as sometimes we refer to these kinds of things as the means of grace. The means of grace, which just simply means um, these are things that God Himself, that Christ has given to His church, things that are supposed to benefit us, things that are supposed to be good for us, the things that God has given to his church to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ, um, to give us more joy in our Christian lives. And since these are the things that God has given to his church, um, these are the things that the early church was doing well. And so we would be wise to imitate the early church, uh, to imitate them as they imitate Christ in these ways. Uh, the implementation and exercises of these graces that God has ordained for his church are, are vital to the to the early church. we're going to see this, and it's surely a dead church that doesn't feed and grow off these graces that we're going to look at. Um, it's a spiritless church that's not satisfied, that's not satisfied with these graces, these means of grace, and it's a church that will inevitably one day finally apostatize who doesn't remain in these graces so These graces were given by Christ. These were given for a reason. These are things that we need to continue to implement in our own lives. And as each of us individually exercise, grow, and learn how to do these graces better, our church will grow and our church will be sanctified and our church will glorify Christ better. So, before we jump into the details um, of this early church, notice in the text here, for those maybe who haven't been following us in Sunday school, the text begins with the word they. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. So who, who were the they that our text is referencing here? Well, if you've, if you've been in the Sunday school's Um, you'll know that the they of the early church here in Acts chapter 2 is two groups that have been brought into one. The two groups were the original 120 disciples who were in the upper room who were awaiting the Spirit of God to fall. And then as the Spirit fell, uh, the signs and wonders occurred. The people asked, what is this? And Peter rose up amongst the apostles and preached and declared to them, What it is they were seeing, and and you remember he quoted Joel 2, said this is that, this is what you were seeing, Uh, the reference to the last days and the Spirit being given to all of God's people. And as a result of Peter preaching uh, Christ to those hearers and explaining to them why at this time was the Spirit coming, the Spirit was coming now because Christ had ascended. Christ was in fact the Messiah 3,000 people believed. And so now the church is somewhere around 3,120 people. And that is the they of our text. These over 3,000 believers. And what we can see from that and what we see in the book of Acts is that these were definitely Christians. This church uh, was full of regenerate and saved individuals. And I almost could have and should have made that, uh, we should have done six marks maybe because the the first mark should be that the church of God is full of regenerate, actually saved people. That's what we see here is that the Spirit fell on all of them. They repented. They were baptized. And the church was full of those people who possessed the Spirit Of God, now that kind of first point should almost go without saying. Um, I think we're all aware that the that the church, that the church membership should be comprised of the believers of those who have the Spirit, those who have repented, those who have been baptized. Um, Unfortunately, that is not, in a sense, an agreed upon point. Uh, In much of evangelicalism, unfortunately, uh, many churches are full of unsaved people. Uh, Many churches have um, unsaved people who are known to be unsaved serving in the ministries and leading in the worship and things of this nature. But this is not the reality of the early church. That The early church was comprised of those who were, in fact, full of the Spirit and saved. So... In order to be a, a, a true church, you need regenerate church membership. You need the church to be comprised of those. The ones who are ministering need to have the Spirit of God. Uh, we, we don't want our church to be full of just people who were are trying to get to act like Christians. We need real Christians to be doing the ministry of the church. So this church... Over 3,000 Spirit-filled believers, they're all seeking to glorify their Savior. And let's look at the first aspect of this church's fruit, the first mark that made this a Christ-glorifying congregation. It's seen there in the beginning of the text. I'm going to make a lot of the first phrase, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And I'm, I'm stopping there. I'm actually going to make the way that the church went about these um, activities as one of the points of a healthy church because it says that they devoted themselves to these things. Uh, BDAG BDAG is an abbreviation for a Greek lexicon. It's kind of like the go-to Greek dictionary. Um, And it, it defines this word of that they were devoting themselves. It says it's a persistence. It's a persevering in something. Persistence and persevering, which I think the English word conveys quite well. They were devoting themselves to these things that come. Uh, the NASB translation of the Bible uh, adds a little helper word. It says they were continually devoting themselves to these things. Just kind of trying to bring out the ongoing nature. Uh, King James says that they continued steadfastly in these things. And these are all just helpful words to kind of add to um, the meaning of of that the word devoting is communicating there. It is in the imperfect tense of the Greek, which is giving that ongoing um, nature of the word. This church was devoting themselves to these things. Which means it wasn't just that the church would, uh, from time to time, or when it was se- uh, simply convenient to pursue these things, uh, they, they continually devoted themselves to these things. Uh, these, these marks of a healthy church, these things that are listed here, these things that the church were involved with were not things that these believers simply squeezed into their already busy schedules. Uh, We're going to see that the church had become their lives. The church became their primary focus uh, above all else, it seems. And that's going to become evident as we look into the lifestyle and the activities of the members of this, this church. And this kind of perseverance, this kind of devotion to the church It shouldn't be a strange thing um, if you think about it. The church is where believers are. Where believers are is where the Spirit of God is. And where God is, um, we should want to be. We should want to be where the Spirit of God is. Where else would you rather be than where God is, where the Spirit of God is? We should desire to be at church. We should desire to be with the brethren. So they're continuing to do these things. What's the first activity here that our text lists that they were continually devoting themselves to? The apostles' teaching. Now, there's a list of several things that the church was doing. And I don't know that there's necessarily any... Specific order given to these activities as far as order of importance, I'd say, except for the first one. The apostles' teaching is listed first, and I would say rightfully so. Reason being is that the apostles' teaching is what will inform the church on how they're to perform all the other things listed in these verses. The apostles' teaching is the foundation. Um, it's it's not the prayer, it's not the fellowship, it's not the breaking of the bread. It's the apostles' teaching that is foundational, because it was to them, the apostles, that Jesus says in John fourteen twenty six, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, and He will bring to your remembrance. All that I said to you. So it's to the apostles whom Christ promised the Spirit to do this work in their minds, in their hearts, in their memory, to recall all of the things that Jesus had taught them. They were given the authority to write these things. Their writings are the ones that God has preserved um, for us. I mean, every book in our New Testament canon is either a book written by an apostle or a book that was affirmed by a companion of the apostles, somebody that the apostles would have known. And so this is what we have in our New Testaments. Our New Testaments are nothing more than the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. This is the, the spirit-induced recallings of the teachings of Jesus. The very book that we're looking at, the book of Acts, is a good example of this. Acts was written by Luke. Luke was not technically an apostle, but he certainly was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write this, uh, the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. The apostle Paul, of whom Luke was a companion, certainly um, affirmed this writing of Luke and confirmed it as being Uh, of the Lord, and now we find it in our Bibles, preserved for us by God, the Word of the Apostles, the teaching of the Apostles. Um, It's interesting, in in Luke's Gospel, if you're not aware, um, there's a Greek word for Scripture, uh, the word graphe, It's a technical term in the New Testament. When when the the New Testament says graphe, it's referring to what we uh, uh, translate that word to be Scripture, meaning it is the Word of God. We're talking about canon writing. We're talking about divinely inspired writings. And it's interesting that in Luke's Gospel, in, in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quotes Luke's Gospel and calls it Scripture. He ties it right in. Um, with other scriptures. So it's just an example of how, even though Luke not being an apostle, his writings are affirmed by the apostle Paul, and they're even called scripture, just as if you look at the end of uh, Peter's epistle, how he calls Paul's writing scripture. And so you see apostle affirming other uh, of these early Christians, and you see apostle affirming uh, other apostles' writings and, and using that technical term of scripture to say, these writings are the word of God. Now, the books we have of the New Testament is only 26 books. Uh, the apostles obviously wrote more than that. Um, but these are the books that the Lord has uh, preserved for us. The, Lord's, the, the, the books that, um, that are sufficient for us to know um, everything we need to know for Life and godliness. Um, you remember what what John said about the teachings of Jesus. That if they had recorded all of the teachings of Jesus and recorded everything that Jesus had done, all the books in the world couldn't have contained. So God said, "These books. These books will. These books will suffice for you." And that's what we have in our New Testament. So um, the apostles' teaching we've just seen in. Acts chapter 2, a very good example of that, explicitly where Luke records for us, for instance, uh, Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Um, we've been looking at those. And, and what is the heart of the apostles' teaching when, when you peruse through the New Testament, all the epistles? When you look through the book of Acts and see all the preaching and teaching of the apostles, all the ministry of the apostles... What what can you uh, summarize their teaching to be? Their teaching, Christ. The summation of their teaching is Jesus, the 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 person and work of Christ, who He is, what He's done, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, That's who Peter preaches in Acts chapter two. The Apostle Paul sums up his teaching in Colossians chapter 1, and I think he's speaking collectively for the Apostles because he used the plural. He says, we proclaim Him. Paul sums up his preaching. We proclaim, we preach Him. A person. And so that's, all the, that's what you see in the Apostles' teaching. Um, and you can kind of see the flow of of the apostles teaching something like this is that especially early on in the book of Acts as the Gospel spreading, they're, they're teaching who Jesus is. They're, they're teaching that He is in fact the Messiah. Jesus is in fact the One whom all the Old Testament saints have, have been speaking of and who, uh, He's who they've been pointing to. They're explaining how sinners are to be reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus, which they teach... Is through repentance and faith in Christ alone. And then a lot of the New Testament writing goes on to teach how it is that us forgiven sinners are to live our lives. And all of that is a summation of what we have in the apostles' teachings. The apostles are simply following the commands of Jesus in that sense in that Jesus told them, go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them and teach them to observe all that I've commanded them. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. That's what we see in the apostles' teaching throughout the New Testament is they're making disciples, they're baptizing those disciples, and they're writing letters teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded them. The early church uh, found a primacy... In the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We try to do the same. The the focus of our worship is not the singing, it's not the prayer, um, it's not even the Lord's Supper. The preaching and the study of the apostles' teaching is when we hear from God. This is when God speaks. We don't get... Um, audible voices from God as some were blessed to have, like the apostles or people who were present um, at the mountain with Moses. Uh, All of our worship is important, as we'll see. They do more than just the apostles' teaching, but the apostles' teaching is primary because that's where we hear from God. The next feature of this church that made it a blessed church was that it says they were continually devoting themselves to the fellowship. To fellowship. It's actually articular. The fellowship. Many of you might be familiar with that word. Translated here as fellowship. It's the word koinonia. Koinonia. Uh, The Greek dictionary uh, defines that word as a close association association. Involving mutual mutual interests and sharing. Fellowship. Koinonia. A close association involving mutual interests and sharing. And so what could we say was the mutual interest of all of the church, this this new church, this spirit filled church? What was the mutual interest? The mutual interest was Christ. Everyone was there, everyone gathered, everyone devoted themselves to the fellowship because they all had Christ in common. That's why we come together. Same reason we come together. I mean, we're all very different. We're all into different things. Um, Some of you aren't aren't even Cowboys fans, and yet here I am fellowshipping with you. Um, It's because we have something else. We're We're not gathered around a mutual interest of sport or Um, whatever else. Um, The reason we're all different and are all together now is the same reason this church was together. It's because we have the mutual interest of Christ. And so we fellowship around Him. Now, in the book of Acts here, as it continues, what Luke is doing is it seems like even from here, from the mentioning of the word koinonia, the mentioning of the word fellowship, as you go through the rest of the chapter all the way down to uh, maybe verse 47, we see him further describing, kind of unfolding the details of the type of fellowship that this church was having. And it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Um, we'll look at the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, but if you drop down, look at the rest of the description here as Luke kind of describes the fellowship of this early church. Uh, verses 43-47, through 47. we even get a, a more accurate picture of this oneness the church has. Um, in verse 43 it says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who had believed were together and had all things in common." They had all things in common. That word common, the Greek word for that is koinos. Koinos is in the same word group as koinonia. They had all things in common. Their fellowship was common. They were together. Um, so we see that, that word being used again, that same word group. Um, the early church had all things in common. Their fellowship wasn't um, surface level. It wasn't just... Fellowshipping around the coffee. It wasn't just um, hanging out. This fellowship was so deep, it was so real that the early church d- didn't just share conversation, they actually shared everything they had. Uh, let's keep reading. Pick up in verse 45 where this description continues. It says they were selling their possessions That sounds like some beautiful fellowship right there. Um, you know, as you read this description of them having everything in common, them selling everything and laying it down at the apostles' feet, um, most who have preached this text, most of the commentators, I think rightly so, are, are, are quick to uh, kind of qualify the situation of, of the selling of everything and, and dividing it up. Um, This certainly wasn't some sort of forced um, setting by the apostles on the church or anything. It wasn't a mandatory selling of their things. It wasn't some sort of uh, early form of of a communistic system that was being enforced upon them. Um, Even in in Acts chapter 5, as you read on, if you remember the story with Ananias and Sapphira, the reason Ananias and Sapphira got in trouble wasn't because they didn't give all the money from the land they sold that's not what, the, that's not what their, their sin was. Their sin was that they lied to the Holy Spirit about how much they gave. Peter says you could have done whatever you wanted with the money. You, in other words, you weren't under compulsion to sell all your land and give it to the apostles. Just an interesting point there that if this was a, a mandatory selling of everything, um, I don't think Peter would have been able to, to say that. Um, so it wasn't coercive in that sense, but it definitely is a beautiful description of the fellowship that they have. It was definitely... I mean, this is, this is a good fruit of a church that the members aren't like white-knuckling all of their belongings, right? They were free and quick to where if there was any need... Um, as, we, as we talked about, why, why maybe was the necessity for this selling and giving of their things? Well... Um, there's things mentioned in that text that we just read that sounded really nice. It did say they were having favor with all the people. Um, but as we said also, as you left Judaism, as you took on that public baptism of Christianity, there certainly was repercussions for that. And, and, and maybe that was driving this need for them to take care of each other and, and, and kind of uh, have the church be... Uh, providing these things versus some of their families. Maybe their families weren't any longer taking care of them because they had become Christians. So I wouldn't say the selling of everything and laying it down at Tawfiq's feet is prescriptive or anything for us. Uh, It's just a beautiful example of of a church who's willing to do whatever they needed to do for one another. I think if we were willing to do the same... um, that would be and i have seen that in this church i have seen uh great acts of sacrifice of of material possessions i mean that to me uh you know it comes down to the matter of money um that is very good fruit that somebody is willing to make great sacrifices with their finances um if you remember the scene with jesus and the rich man like that's That's something that Jesus put His finger on that was the dividing line. Sell all your possessions and follow Me. The man was unwilling. So, um, this church is is demonstrating great fruit in that they were willing to sell all of their things and lay it down at the apostles' feet so that the church might be taken care of. Um, I love how Luke describes this fellowship in verse 44 there. He mentions that all who had to believe, that all those who had believed were together. They were together. They, the fellowship, um, in the way that this church, early church was was fellowshipping, in the way that we should fellowship. This kind of fellowship can't happen if you are not together. The church was together, and that is necessary. So, in the same way that this church was daily. Um, Ministering to each other and taking care of each other is just another sign, another biblical example of the reality that we need to do everything we can to be together. Um, the church needs to be um, of primary importance for our families um, as fathers I think it's it's on us to make that a priority for your family to model the importance and the significance of gathering with the believers in to take part in the apostles teaching the fellowship the prayers the breaking of bread Uh, we should be doing everything we can to get our families to every bible study every sunday school every sermon every evangelistic outreach every prayer night um our church is fellowshipping our church is gathering we are getting together just just as they did and so um not only for the benefit that will come out of the gathering for you personally, but even just to set that example for your, for your children and for your family that, that the church of God has a priority in your life and, and set that example um, for your children. Um, I mean, I know life happens. It, it happens for all of us. I mean, I'm going to miss the fellowship today. Unfortunately, i got to go see my dad. I mean, we all know that that life happens. But I think um, this is just one area in our sanctification and for our church that we can grow in. Because take, for instance, like our Sunday school service and, and our worship service after. Um, if you're only coming to worship, per se, if you're only coming to the second service, you're missing half of the shepherding that Tafiq is giving to us. You're only being shepherded half as much as you're only getting half the fellowship um, you're only getting half the apostles' teaching that everybody else is getting. So, um, for instance, Tafiq is devoting... I mean, I now know... I mean, I, I've got to do some teaching, and, and I'm sure some of your other brothers have, have done some teaching. You, you, you understand how much it takes to put something together like this. Um, I- any teaching that we do is, is taken seriously and takes time. And um, if anything, if, if you come for any reason... Let it just be to encourage Tafik. because um, I can tell you it's deflating to spend I mean as many hours I'm sure he spends on his preparation. You do all of this work, you have brethren in mind that you that you know, maybe it's a particular text that deals with a particular issue you've been wanting, you know, you've been looking forward to getting to this verse and and, and share it with certain members of the congregation, and then you do all that study and you prepare, you get here and then they're not there. And it, oh you know, all that work, all that prayer, you know. Um, so if anything, I would say that's one way in, we, in which we can encourage Tafiq is, is be there, be there and, and be encouraging and be engaging when, when we have all that available. So the fellowship, they were devoted to the fellowship. The last two graces listed in here by Luke, uh, the next one, is the breaking of bread. The early church was continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, if you've done any study on this text or if you've heard it preached before, or even just that phrase, the breaking of bread, you can kind of see there might be some ambiguity in there. Like, what exactly is Luke referring to when he says the breaking of bread? Obviously, um, The question comes down amongst the commentators. uh, You know, because we use the language of breaking of bread, right? When we eat a meal together, we break bread together. Um, Is that simply what uh, Luke has in mind, that the early church was gathering together and eating meals together? Or is it specifically a reference to the Lord's Supper? The breaking of the bread in remembrance of the Lord's Supper. Or maybe is is it a combination... Of the two, and I actually probably fall into that last camp where I think uh, it's probably a reference to two. It's probably a combination of this ordinary meal idea with the Lord's Supper. Um, why do I think that? Because there's actually some interesting examples in the New Testament of what the uh, what the early church's feasts, their agape feast, the love feast, consisted of, and We've kind of taken more of, of a more uh, symbolic kind of approach to the Lord's Supper, right? Where we just do a little piece of bread and a little cup, right? Um, but when you read through to discuss, uh, the, the descriptions here of when the supper was taking place, uh, for instance, in the book of 1 Corinthians 11, that classic passage that we always go read about, Paul's admonishing them for some going ahead and eating too much, right? And they're leaving other people out. And so this was a full-out meal, um, Jude, verse twelve, you have that reference to the love feasts. Those, these, the, there's these false teachers who have snuck their way into the church and are, and are flowing amongst the brethren in, in their agape feasts, which the text doesn't describe. But if you go read the commentaries, they just simply say, "Oh, this is certainly a reference to how when the early church gathered, there, uh, it was it was more of a whole meal that." probably at the end was commemorated with a, uh, you know, a, a special um, setting apart or a special breaking of the bread and, and drinking of the wine for the Lord's Supper. But, at the end of the day, the breaking of the bread um, is certainly at least referencing the Lord's Supper. And they were continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread, the partaking of the Supper. Why? Why? Because of the beauty and because of the um, the Lord's Supper, like one of, is one like one of my favorite graces that God has given to the church. Because there's first of all, the Lord didn't give us like a lot of uh, sacraments, right? Um, people love sacrament. People love the physical. I mean, that's why a lot of um, different religions focus so much on that. The Lord really only gave us like two pictures, two. Physical things. It's the act of baptism, that picture that we see of somebody dying to their old life, rising to a new life in Christ. We get to see that. Uh, the, 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 the new believer gets to experience the, the picture of the washing of the water and the, the rising to a new life. But we also get this other uh, ordinance, sacrament, uh, whatever you want to call it. But it's a physical thing that the Lord has given us to, to commemorate His work. And what's so beautiful about it is in one sense, I was going to say, we can't mess it up. It's so it's so such a beautiful picture. Obviously, some people have messed up the meaning of the Lord's Supper and and made it into things that it's not. But isn't it such a a, don't you love taking the Lord's Supper? Like, um, say you've been zoning out the entire sermon, right? Right. and Tawfiq's preaching and you're in and out maybe you got other stuff on your mind you're not engaged like you should be but then we take the supper and somehow it never fails to just the the to feel the the bread and the symbolism of Christ's body and to have like it looks like blood I mean we have a physical um description in our hands of the blood of Christ and when we take that it's just like gospel I mean you just thank Christ I mean it's it takes you there every time. And so, um, the breaking of the bread in the Lord's Supper. Um, I love how Paul's description ends in First 1 Corinthians 11.26 when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So the Lord's Supper isn't even like a little passive thing with you just being like, um, what's the word? Like when you're looking inwardly only. uh, I can't remember. But it's it's not just the introspective aspect. It's actually, we're proclaiming something. Right? I've said it before one time. uh, But it's the interesting part where everybody who's Christian, kids, women, get to preach. It's your chance to preach. He says we're all proclaiming so by taking that, you're showing everybody, I partake of Christ. The bread, the, the, the wine, you're proclaiming the work of, of Christ. And, and it's an opportunity for all of us together in unison to proclaim Christ. I love, I love the Lord's Supper. It's such a vivid, it's such a vivid description. And I just put a little note. Let's let's say the, let's t- say we take the minimal minimalist approach to what Paul could be referring to. Let's say uh, uh, Luke is just referring to the breaking of bread in meals. Um, we can still say say that's what Luke had in mind. Still, the breaking of bread um, is still so beneficial, right? It's still so intimate. When you're having a meal with somebody, you're on a different level of intimacy and conversation than you are when you're just Passing by at church, maybe um, even that level of breaking the bread is sweet. Um, I think even like the First Corinthians five passage, that you know, there's the so-called brother who's living in sin, and there Paul's saying not even to eat with such a one. I think the only way that makes sense is in light of the reality that the apostles recognize that breaking of bread means fellowship. Breaking of bread means, you know, we are, we are communing together. We are eating together. The Lord is sustaining us. We've prayed. We've thanked the Lord for this. There's a communion there that Paul's saying, wow, that's not even appropriate for somebody who's a so-called brother, somebody who's naming Christ but living in sin. Um, we can't act like everything's fine there. We shouldn't be having that level of fellowship. Even the regular meal uh, Paul seems to be saying there. So even that kind of breaking of bread is, is no light thing. So I'm thankful for the Lord's Supper and how often we even get to partake of it. Um, okay, lastly. Lastly, but certainly not least. Luke lists, lists the fact here that the church was a praying church. You see this all throughout the book of Acts. I put just a couple of really quick examples that are, that are right around our text so you can flip to them if you want. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. We see the church already praying in the very first page of the book of Acts, the very first chapter. There the church is awaiting the promised Spirit in the upper room. And it says, notice this description of their prayer life. These all with one mind were continually, there's that language again, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts chapter 1, verse 24. Here we find the church again praying to the Lord. Now they're seeking uh, guidance, they're trying to replace. Judas as an apostle, and they're seeking the Lord's will in that. Acts chapter 6, we see as the apostles are are having to create a new um, office in the church. I I think Acts chapter 6, you can call as like a proto um, development for the role of deacon, where there's a need, there's service that needs to be um, done in the church. The apostles were trying to do everything, but they assigned uh, some faithful men to be deacons and to take care of some of this business so that the apostles could devote themselves to what? Does anybody remember? Why do we need why did the apostles need deacons? So they could devote themselves to the study of the word and to prayer. So there we see the need prayer was the need, the reason we needed deacons was because the apostles needed to be set apart for that purpose. Um, lastly, in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, we're given an example of the prayer of the church. What turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 24, because we'll read this prayer. The Bible contains the prayer for us. And it is some prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. It says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now that's a prayer. Um, you see the confidence in their prayer and the sovereignty of God. You see in their prayer the use of Scripture. They're quoting Scripture. And you see even the unity that this church had, this fellowship even in prayer, how they were all lifting their voices together to God, it says. They were unified in this prayer. Um, we have a prayer service. We do Wednesday night prayers. I'm thankful that our church has a prayer service. Um, Typically, the way it usually goes is you can't get people to two things. You can't get people to evangelism and you can't get people to prayer. But I'm thankful that our church is, is faithful in that and overcomes the odds, I guess you could say, in that sense. And the application I had for this is that even in our services, we pray multiple times throughout our services. And I don't want us to take that for granted. When tawfiq is up here praying uh, before a sermon or during the service, um, we should be praying with him. Uh, this shouldn't be downtime. When, If, if you think about what's happening, the, the thrice holy God from heaven is leaning down, is leaning his ear to us. He's, li- he's listening to His people. And when that's happening, uh, we should be um, taking advantage of that ear. Uh, that's something that we should... This is a most solemn time of the worship service is when we have the ear of God and we should take advantage of that. It's, it's kind of like I had it, I scratched it out, I'll put it back in. It's, it's kind of like when you are praying... Um, at your house, maybe fathers or mothers, and you're, and you're praying, and you're praying for your children, and you look, and you see them looking around. They're not paying attention. They're playing with something, you know, and you're praying for them. And, you're, and, and, and in your mind, you wish that they were praying. You wish that they were hearing that prayer. You wish that they were um, praying with you to God that they would um, be healthy or or. or be saved or be sanctified, whatever it is you're praying for. But it, it, it's kind of like the similar situation where God is here. God has our ear. Somebody is praying to the Lord and He's listening and you're not even paying attention or you're messing around on the phone or, or, or being distracted. Um, I'm sure the Lord feels the same way that we feel about when we see our kids not, not even paying attention to the fact that the Lord is, is having, that we're having His ear so... Um, this was one of the things that was pointed out in the book of Acts by Luke, saying this is what the church was devoted themselves to, the prayer. When you read their prayers, their prayers are serious. Prayer time was not downtime in the early church. They believed that, that God was hearing them and was present, and so we just need to have the same view of prayer as, as they did um, to summarize all of these things. Everything that the Spirit-filled church was doing was, was God-centered. Um, the results out of all of this faithfulness to these, these marks of a healthy church in the early church were the outworkings of that Was, was as a unity, was a communion that this church had. All of this prayer, all this apostles' teaching, this fellowship, the breaking of bread, um, all of these things they did together didn't simply bring them together, um, it also sent them out. So all of these means of grace that God gives to us, all of this sanctification that's supposed to happen, all of this growth as we hear the apostles' teaching, as we learn the Bible more as we pray, as we worship over the Lord's Supper, as we fellowship with one another and and, and get to know each other more and take care of each other's needs. Our church should be doing these things to be built up. Our church should be doing these things to be stronger, not just so that we can feed ourselves and just be healthy for our own good, but we're supposed to be taking what we have to the world Um, And that's where I know we want to be. I know many of you are evangelistic. I know many of you are missions-minded. So we don't want to stop with just trying to be um, better when we come together. We want to be so holy that it overflows, that we have um, things to give to the world, that we have uh, sacrifices that we can make even beyond ourselves, that we can minister to the world outside of us. Hopefully, we will overflow into missions, into more evangelism, into more uh, support for other works that God is doing. That's where we want to get. That's where these graces need to take us. Um, it might even, these graces might even take us to where it, they took the early church. The early church not only was being prepared to go out to minister, the early church was also being prepared to suffer to suffer. So, or, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see the suffering. We're going to see the persecution. We're going to see the, the martyrdoms. We're going to see the beatings. Um, church history tells us that crucifixions came for some. We're going to see those things in the book of Acts. And if, the, and, if, and if this early church had not been using the means of grace, if they had not been sanctifying themselves, they wouldn't have been ready for the suffering um and we and we need to be ready it's hard to get ready in times of peace it's you know we just don't feel the pressure we just don't feel man we really need to be at church man I I don't I I don't want to miss a a single study I I need to learn more about the word of God I want to be at every prayer I want to be there praying for our church and and asking God to bless our church it's because it's so easy right now I mean we don't feel that pressure but if the persecution comes, and it could come, I don't know. But if it does, I think um, we would wish that we had taken better advantage and sanctified ourselves um, through these means of grace. And I guess I'll just end by saying, um, I don't know if you all use that term, if you all are familiar with the term or that language, means of grace. Um, some even refer to it as the ordinary means of grace. I don't know if you all have heard that language. Um, that language isn't used to downplay the importance. The ordinary means of grace just speaks of these graces. These aren't the miraculous things that God does um, according to His will. The ordinary means of grace are these graces that we do all the time. The, the apostles' teaching when we're, when we're preaching and studying the Bible. The prayer the fellowship, the breaking of bread. These are things we do all the time. These things are ordinary. Um, But with the ordinary comes uh, a lack of appreciation, a lack of zeal around them, a lack of dedication to them. And so by even calling them the ordinary means of grace, they are ordinary in the sense that we do them all the time, but uh, we cannot let these things become ordinary to us in the sense that we no longer have a zeal to pursue them and we don't appreciate them uh, because these are the means of grace that God has given to the church. I don't know that the miraculous has been given to this church. I don't know anybody in this church who performs the miraculous. God has given us these means of grace. The apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the prayers, the fellowship. This is what God says, exercise these graces and you'll be sanctified. This is what God has given to our church. So, um, for the honor of Christ and for the glory of Christ, let's pursue these things just as the early church did and, and pray that the Lord will sanctify us through them. Because I think the Word of God promises that He will. This is what He's given to us. If we pursue them, the Lord will meet us. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, thank You again, Lord, for leaving us the apostles teaching Lord thank you that we have these words preserved and written down in a book that we can that we don't have to wonder Lord of what what should we be doing Lord what would you have for us Lord how how can we be more holy how can we be sanctified Lord your word provides the graces Lord we've for some of us who have been Christians for years, these ordinary graces have become ordinary, Lord. We pray that you would wake us up, that we would awake and that Christ would shine upon us, Lord, that these graces would be renewed, Lord, that we would that Sunday would not be a burden to us, that Sunday would be the favorite day of the week for us where we get to Fellowship, where we get to pray, where we get to dedicate hours to the apostles' teaching, where we get to partake and proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Lord, please um, sanctify our church, Lord. Have mercy on us. We thank You again for Your Word, Lord. We thank You for all of these brethren here today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.